for the next four weeks, I'm going to be doing something that uh, I would need your, your greatest support, okay? I'm going to take a familiar Sunday school story, the story of Jonah, and turn it into a word in season. And trust that the Lord would use this uh, Sunday school story and make it something that will be relevant uh, to all of our lives. So are you ready and excited to go to this familiar book? And uh, many of you have read it before, I'm sure. But there are so many exciting things. I hope that the Lord will open our eyes to behold. So if you have your Bibles, maybe you can go with me to the book of Jonah. I'm going to read for you the first chapter. Jonah chapter 1. From verse 1 onwards, and then let's unpack this beautiful story. Jonah chapter 1, reading from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Notice those words. Its wickedness has come up before me. But, whenever you see the word but, it tells you that uh, whatever is positive before becomes negative. Whatever is negative before becomes positive. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's a positive thing. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and he, shared, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So that was his purpose, is to run away from God. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah has gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Then the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and the lot fell on uh, to, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? And then Jonah answered, he said, I am a Hebrew. In other words, I'm a Jew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And then they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Then Jonah said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. What an amazing story. Let's bow and we pray. Father, I ask you this morning to behold, to help us behold the truth of your word. I pray that you take this simple Sunday school story, turn it into a word in season, so that we may hear you speak to us, even as I speak to your people. 
So come, Lord, speak as your servants hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Simon Wiesenthal was a Jewish man who wrote a book entitled The Sunflower. And it's a book about the Holocaust. And he saw his own family brutally tortured and then murdered by the Nazis. Wiesenthal himself was later taken to a concentration camp and later he was sent to work in an army hospital. And while he was working in the army hospital, one day he was summoned to the bedside of a dying man who was actually bandaged from the top of his head down to the sole of his feet. He was so badly burned. And that man asked Wiesenthal if he was a Jew. And Wiesenthal replied, yes, sir, I am. And then the man went on to say this. He said, I'm about to die and I'm dying a terrible, painful death. But I'm suffering more on the inside than I am on the outside. I have been a Nazi soldier and I murdered countless numbers of Jews, he said. Now that I'm about to die, would you as a Jew please forgive me because I'm truly sorry. And Wissenthal actually stood there for a full 45 seconds, but he was unable to bring himself to actually pronounce those words of forgiveness. And he finally, after 45 seconds of silence, turned around and he walked out leaving that dying man screaming, you know, in his agony, please forgive me, please forgive me. What a poignant story. But it is not my intention today to debate on whether Wiesenthal was right or wrong in denying this man some words of forgiveness on his deathbed. But I told you that story in order to put the story of Jonah that we just read in its context. I wanted you to understand why the prophet actually ran away from an assignment that God gave to him to go to Nineveh to preach. See, I put it all in this context. Simon Wiesenthal was summoned to pronounce forgiveness to a man who had ruthlessly murdered his own family. And he could not do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And all of us, I think, can understand that. Am I right? We can all understand that. Why he, he, he finds it so hard now, in the same context, Jonah was actually sent as a prophet to preach to a city whose people he felt nothing for except bitterness. And it was not a case of a prophet who is filled with, uh, it's not a case of a prophet who is too lazy to go and carry out the lost assignment. It wasn't that. But it was actually a case of a prophet who was filled with so much passion for his own people and, and, and a pure reaction against a wicked and cruel people called the Ninevites. He had such a reaction against them. Why? Because the Ninevites are such a cruel people. And they would actually ride into a city, demolish the city, kill all the people, and then collect their skulls, erect the pyramid with their skulls just to demonstrate that they are conquerors. That's the kind of wicked, cruel people the Ninevites were. And the prophet Jonah knows that his God is such a forgiving God that if he go and preach and the people turn back to God, God will forgive them. And then he was thinking, you know, if God were to spare the Ninevites, what can happen to my own people, the Jews? What if they turn around? What if they go back to all their wickedness again? So he was thinking about all of that. And so what did he do? Instead of going to, to Nineveh, which is 500 miles northeast from where he was, instead of going to Nineveh, 
which is 500 miles northeast, he bought himself a ticket on the Star Cruise and go to Tashish, which is 200 miles west towards Tashish. He was actually going in the opposite direction. What was the prophet doing? He was running away from God. But why? I'll tell you why. Because he didn't like the people that God was sending him to. Are you with me? That was the reason why he didn't want to go. He didn't like the people that God was sending him to. And this is the context behind the book of Jonah that we'll be studying over the next four weeks. Okay, and I want to unpack this book for you. And because it's such a simple Sunday school story, everybody knows the story. Some of you may be thinking, what's there to learn? So I'm going to ask you to help me out, okay? Shout amen. amen. Say yes, so that I, I know you're listening, all right? Now, let me unpack that book for you. This book, I think, can be outlined into four broad segments, nicely divided by the four chapters you find in the book. So chapter one of the book of Jonah talks about the great storm. Chapter 2 talks about the great fish, and we'll, we'll find out who this fish is. Chapter 3 is about the great city, the great city of Nineveh. Chapter 4 is about this great God that we serve. Okay, and these four beautiful segments put together. It's a book of greats. Okay, we're going to be studying about a great storm, a great fish, a great city, and a great God. And we're going to study, one, uh, study them one segment at a time. And this morning, let's begin with the great storm. That's chapter one that we just read, the great storm. Now, I'm going to be looking at this storm that you read about in chapter, uh, Jonah chapter one from Jonah's perspective, okay? From Jonah's eyes. Now, here we find Jonah actually experiencing four things, okay? Jonah experienced four things as he spirals downwards, you know, in his circumstances. And what are those four things? Number one will be disobedience. The first thing you see is disobedience. Everything began with Jonah running away from something that God wanted him to do. Now, we all know that Jonah was a prophet of God. In other words, God had every right to tell him where to go, when to go, and what to say. And God wanted him to go to Nineveh to do what? To preach against their wickedness. That's what you're supposed to do. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Interestingly, you know, the word Amittai actually means truth. Truth. And the word Jonah, the name Jonah actually means dove light or gentle. You think about a white dove, gentle. In other words, Jonah was a gentle son of truth. He was gentle, but he was always truthful. And he was an honest man. And no wonder we find him very, very real in his relationship with God. You read through the whole book of Jonah, you find that Jonah never hides his feelings from God. If he's happy, you know. When he's depressed, you also know. And he's very honest before God. So what did God want him to, uh, want him to do? God said to him, go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, don't miss this. It's such a powerful phrase, you know. The wickedness of the city of Nineveh has come up to me. In other words, there is a cry that rises in the city of Nineveh. And it's a cry of wickedness. And this cry has actually hurt, uh, it's, it's actually reached the years of God. In other words, the cry of the city of Nineveh have reached the throne of God. 
Now, here's a principle I want to share with you. I think that every city has a cry. There's a voice that rises from every city. And this cry could either be a wicked cry or it can be a righteous cry. Uh, give you an example. Genesis chapter 18, verse 28 to uh, 21, uh, 20 and 21. Listen to this. It's talking about a cry coming out from two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a very wicked cities. So listen to what the, the Bible records here. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So can you picture this Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities, and there's a cry rising to the throne of God. But it was a wicked cry. All the sins that were going on in that city, it reached the years of God. And the cry of the city, brothers and sisters, is heard by God. You think about some of the major cities across the world, and immediately things come to your mind, isn't it? The mere mention of some cities immediately conjures up images. If I mention certain cities, certain things will come to your mind, like prostitution, pornography, or drugs, or poverty, materialism, violence, triads, gangsterism, gambling. I shout out the city's name to you. These images come to your mind. What is that? I think it is different city, different cry. Are you with me? There is a cry that rises from every city. But what I've just shared with you are all the wicked cries, but there can also be a righteous cry. There are some cities where there's a righteous cry coming up to the throne of God. I'll give you an example. Exodus 2, verse 23 and 24. Listen to this story now. The children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and they begin to cry out to God. So notice what happened here. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And then what happened? Their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. What do we see here? Here we see another cry rising from yet another city. But notice this time the cry is a righteous cry. It's prayers and intercession that rises to the throne of God because the people of God are crying out. So here's the principle. Listen to this. The wicked cry of Sodom and Gomorrah resulted in the judgment of God. But the righteous cry of the Israelites resulted in the deliverance of God. When he cried out, God heard their cry. And then he remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So listen, brothers and sisters, the destiny of any territory depends on this. Is the cry rising from this city one that is wicked or one that is righteous? And you know what? The answer depends on what? The answer depends on this, the church in the city. The church in the city. If we who are, who are the people of God do not cry out to God on behalf of our city, then what will reach the throne of God will be the acts of wickedness. And who holds that balance of power? The church needs to be able to let God use us to raise a righteous cry, change the spiritual atmosphere. People lament, you know, that our city is getting worse. Things are getting worse. But listen, the answer, really, let's raise a cry to God as the people of God.
and it changes spiritual atmosphere. See, and in Nineveh's case, it was a cry of wickedness that is about to bring down the judgment of God. But you know what? The good news is this. Before God judges a city, He always sent a prophet. Before God judges anything, He always sent a prophet to warn them. But what did the prophet do? Instead of going east towards Nineveh, he went west, the exact opposite direction, and ran to Tashis. This is the first time I read in the Bible where we see a man of God disobey God without even saying a word. Right? You read what he says. The word of the Lord came to Noah and Jonah, go to this. And the next thing you know, he went on the other direction. Didn't even say anything. He didn't argue with God. He didn't discuss with God. At least it's not recorded. He just packed up and left. But you notice this. He was very resolute in planning his own disobedience. He was very resolute about it. He actually ran away from God. He went down to this part of Joppa, looked for a sheep. He found one just nice. You know, in his mind, he must be thinking, wow, you know, divine appointment, everything is there. And then he jumped on, he bought himself a ticket. He paid for it. And then he go in the opposite direction. He wanted to flee from the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, it means that when you want to run away from the presence of God, what are you doing? You want to go as far away from the temple of God as possible because that's where the presence of God is. He was running in the opposite direction. But I want you to notice that when that happens, circumstances and companions came along to help him run away from God. Hey, he went down to Joppa Street. Hey, the star cruise is there, just nice. And it's about to sail and he jumped on and he went on. Everything seems to fall in place uh, for him. And here's the principle, you know. You see, if you really want to flee from God, you may find that circumstances and companions will come along and help you do that. Because every time we want to do something like that, the devil is more than happy to help you along. You know, when you are trying to avoid the church, you find the same thing, right? Suddenly, your friends, you know, they haven't caught you for a long time, call you up and invite you to go to golf on Sunday. Yeah, just nice. Your old gambling friends all turn up again. Your drinking buddies from the past, they all call you. It's like someone once said this. If you insist on going in a certain direction, and even though it's the wrong direction, God will step aside and He will second your motion. If you even though you, you know you're going something against the will of God, but you, if you insist on going there, God will tell you don't. But if you insist on going, God will have to step aside, second your motion, and please carry on. But you take the consequences. You take the consequences. But the good news, the reverse is also true. Every time, the moment you begin to feel in your heart somewhere that I think it's t- I want to come back to God. Something is stirring inside you that this is not what I'm after. I really need to come back to God. When your heart begins to desire for God again, suddenly, everything, engineers, all kinds of circumstances come together. Your old church friend will suddenly call you up. A track may appear in your mailbox. A Facebook post will come out and say, Welcome to FCC, something like that. (laughs) And then suddenly, circumstances begin to come together that make it impossible for you not to return to the Lord. You know why? Because we serve a God of providence. He sees your needs beforehand and He engineers circumstances to meet that need because you have that desire. We serve a God of providence. Jonah bought himself a one-way ticket, but God had a return ticket ready for him. First thing you see, disobedience. 
But here's the second thing. From disobedience, it leads to distress. God called Jonah. He refused to answer. He was told to get up, but he went down. He was called to go east. The guy went west. If you choose to go God's way, people around us will be blessed. How many of you know that? But if we choose to go against God's way, the people around us can be distressed. And that whoever was with him in that vessel, in that boat, is about to get into trouble. They are about to come under distress. Isn't it true that, uh, like, take the case of an abusive father or an alcoholic mother, it's the children who suffer before they do. Right? You, you, you find the same outcome with a wayward son. If, I, if we have a wayward children, the parents feel the heartache before the child does. Because every time we disobey, the people around us are distressed. Jonah chose to go his own way. So what did God do? Step aside, second his motion. But God would only let him go this far and no more. It's like, for all of us, it's true, you know. For us who are children of God, sometimes we are disobedient, rebellious. We want to go our own way. God has to step aside, second our motion. But there's always a leash, you know, around us. God will allow you to go that far, and then he begin to pull you in. He will begin to speak. He will begin to reach out and begin, his providence will begin to kick in. And that was what happened. Jonah ran away and then the first miracle happened. God sent a great wind and a storm began to brew. And when that storm started happening, while the sailors were all battling for their lives, where was Jonah? You tell me. Where was Jonah? Right? Jonah chapter 1 verse 5. Jonah has gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> he was lying. He was sleeping while everybody else was fighting for their life. This guy was sleeping. Now I want you to freeze that picture of a sleeping prophet in your mind and then you consider this, okay? Three times... I kid you not, you go and read it for yourself. Three times in 48 verses in the book of Jonah, God had to say to Jonah the same command. And the same command was this, get up, get up, go and cry. Get up, go and cry. Get up, go and cry. It seems to me like Jonah is in a horizontal position a lot of the time. <laughs> he was literally a prophet sleeping during a storm. So listen to me, people. Isn't it ironical that everybody else on that boat was praying and crying out to God except the man of God himself? He was sleeping below deck. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. Many of us are like Jonah. We are sleeping when there is a storm that is gathering around us. We are spiritually so inalert sometimes that we feel safe when danger is looming. And then came a great wind. Let me share with you a burden on my heart. And please listen to me. And you, you know me long enough now. And when, when I have to say such things, it's not because I'm angry. It's not because I'm upset or frustrated. But I share with you because I really care about what is going on. So here's the burden I have to share with you. I think the pandemic season has caused many globally around the world and many within our own congregation, it's easy. The pandemic season has caused many to settle into a lull in the spirit. And I want you to know that winter is over. Spring has arrived. 
I think it is time now for us to awaken from our slumber and we start to re-engage. Are you with me? I think it is time for us to re-engage. It's time to refire. It's time to reignite our passion. It's time to break out of that spiritual lethargy. Hello? Are you still lethargic? Hear me. Are you, are you agreeing? You're sensing this? You know, I think it's such a shame. People just, we, I think it's time for us to come back, to reconnect, to serve, to regather, to reach out. It is time for us to ramp up our focus on the purposes of the kingdom. You see, and I think, you know, I don't know about you, don't settle into this passionless, lazy Christianity. And, you know, if, if, if it's because of your close contact, if it's because you, you have COVID and you need to isolate yourself, I can fully understand that and please do. But if you can show up at 10 a.m. every morning to watch this live stream and you're in Perth, it means you can be here. We were never meant to be an isolated people. We were meant to be a, a community. I think we were meant to be together so that we can encourage one another, so that we can inspire one another. And I think this is what it should be. I think we should gear up to do what God has called us to do as a church. It's time to get back to this, to see people saved, nations transformed. It's time for us to get back to this. How many of you amen this? Don't be lazy. Let's get on with the task. I think winter is over. Spring has come. So let's get up. Get up and cry out. Go and get up and cry. It's time for this. Disobedience will lead to distress. First for others and then for ourselves. The third thing you see is the word Disgrace, if I can put it this way. If not, we end up in disgrace. We see Jonah sliding, you know, from disobedience into distress and now into disgrace. Ultimately, we can be sure that our sins will find us out. There was the prophet sleeping while there's a storm brewing. See, Jonah was under deck of the ship, sleeping soundly, totally unaware that a storm is gathered and has gathered. And by the way, you know, just because you feel peace, just because you feel that I'm able to rest, you know, peacefully, doesn't mean that you're in the will of God. Just because you're comfortable, doesn't always mean that you're in the will of God. You look at Jonah. This guy was running away from the will of God and sleeping soundly. So don't assume that. There is a sleep that comes because we are obedient to God and we are walking in His will. There's also a sleep that comes because we are so far from God, He becomes irrelevant to us. We don't want a peace that comes from presumption. You want a peace that comes from obedience. See, and so what happened? The sailors were battling for their lives on top, right? They were throwing away cargo, crying out to all their gods. The Bible actually tells us all of them started crying to their gods, whoever they are. And these are seasoned sailors, you understand? They are seasoned sailors, but they don't know what they got themselves into when they set sail with Jonah in their vessel. And finally, the captain had no choice. He went down to, the, to Jonah and wake him up because everybody is scrambling except this guy sleeping. So he went down to the deck, he woke him up and listened to what the captain said to him. He says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. 
And you know what? He was right. Sometimes I think the sailors knows more about what's going on than the prophet. You know, and this sailor, they, they think, let's take a moment and think about these sailors. I think they paint a picture for us of what the people of the world are like in the face of crisis. What are these sailors like? Let me tell you a few things about them. Very interesting. Firstly, I noticed this. They were religious. Am I right? These sailors, I think it's a picture of the people in the world. They were religious. And by the way, most people are religious, especially in a time of crisis. People like to think, you know, that they are atheists. They don't believe in God. But often when the rubble meets the road and they get into trouble, they know they need a power beyond themselves. You don't believe me? You just read uh, Reader's Digest, okay? You ever read Reader's Digest? There's a segment called Drama in Real Life. Short articles. Every time I read the drama in real life, people get in trouble and then they all pray. Guaranteed they all pray. Why? Because when we are in trouble, we know we need a power beyond ourselves. It's like a self-proclaimed atheist, you know, who once said this, I'm an atheist, thank God. (laughs) You will inevitably find people praying in the midst of their crisis. I like this saying, you know, crisis is when we see who Christ really is. That's why sometimes God used crisis to bring people to Him. You know, I, I, and there is a saying, well-known well phrase used in war that goes like this, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes. In a time of war, nobody's an atheist, everybody prays. But the thing is this, listen carefully, don't miss this, huh? religiosity just because they're religious, it doesn't save us. These sailors, they were all praying prayers of fear. They are not prayers of faith. They were all crying out to God because they just wanted to get delivered. They were not prayers of faith. They were prayers of fear. Religiosity in itself doesn't save us. And that's when the second miracle happened. They decided in desperation, we better find out, since all of us cry out and nothing happened, we better find out who's at fault. And so they decided to cast lots to find out who is the, who is the, who is the troublemaker. And the second miracle happened, God controlled the Lord and Jonah was found out. <laughs> and Proverbs 16.33 says, you know, the Lord is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So they in desperation, they didn't know what to do. We've got to find out who is the one that fought. And when they cast lots, God controlled the lots. Boom, Jonah got found out. He was a prophet disgrace. He was indicted. He was uncovered by God himself. And that's when, when they found out that Jonah was a guy. He was a troublemaker. What did, what, then what happened? Then I discovered a second thing about people in the world. They are not just religious, but they can be reasonable too. You know what this, you know what these sailors did? They did not immediately get rid of Jonah. The moment they found out you are the guy at fault, we get rid of you. No, they didn't. They begin to reason with him. They ask him, you know, what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? You know why they ask all those questions? I'll tell you why. Because they were trying to figure out what God are they dealing with. Which God are they dealing with? And when Jonah answered, 
I am a Hebrew, I'm a Jew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. When the sailors heard that, they immediately were terrified. I tell you why, because the reputation of our God goes before him. The sailors knew that they are dealing with the God above all gods, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And they got really frightened. So they asked him in verse 11, they said, what should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? And then Jonah gave a very heroic answer in verse 12. You, you cannot miss that, right? What, what did he say? His answer was, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Wow, hero. I'm the guy. Chuck me in and everything will be okay. Do you think God was impressed with that? Not really. I'll tell you why. Because that's what God wanted to hear. God wanted obedience rather than sacrifice. God wanted to hear, you know, it's my fault. Turn the ship around, take me to Nineveh. I think that's what God would want to hear. But you know what Jonah was saying? Jonah is saying, I will sacrifice. I'll be the answer. Throw me into the sea. Instead of saying, I will obey. Take me to Nineveh. He was still trying to run away from the will of God. He would rather die than to do what God wanted him to do. Because he said, throw me into the sea. He's dead. I think most Jews cannot swim. Because they got the Dead Sea. You know? <laughs> no, need to, no need to swim. It's just float. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, throw me into the sea. I'd rather die. You know? That's what happened. He opted for, let me die. But what's the response of the sailors? They were not just religious. They were reasonable. But on top of that, they were resilient. Even though they said, hey, throw me into the sea. They did not immediately throw Jonah over to save their own lives. But they tried their best to row back to shore. The Bible tells us, right? They tried and they tried. Just like so many people in this world. We are all trying our best to get right with God on our own strength. We are all trying to sail back to peace and safety. And they are prepared to do all sorts of things. They throw their cargo over. They try to offload something in their lives to get right with God. We try to do more so that we can get into God's good books. We roll harder, thinking that if we try hard enough, we will make it. Nope, didn't work. No matter what they do, it was not good enough to end up righteous instead of wicked. However hard we try, it will not work. That's why Paul said in Romans 7 verse 14, Right? We try so hard you know, to do the right thing, keep the laws, you know, do all these things so that we can get right with God. Paul says in Romans 7, 11, 14, we know that the law is good, the law is spiritual. All this morality, all these yeah, good things, but I am unspiritual. The law is great, but I am unspiritual. So as a slave to sin, what's the problem? The laws are good, but the problem is that I can't keep them. I am unspiritual. See, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I know I shouldn't do, what I hate, I end up doing. Brothers and sisters, this is a dilemma of sin. It is not that man wants to be bad. Actually, man wants to be good, but we can't. Why? Because of a sinful nature that is in us. I think every single one of us, uh, if I can liken you, I will liken you to, you are like a bowling ball with a weight on one side. 
no matter how you try to roll straight, you will go into the drain. You're like an arrow, that shaft is crooked. No matter how you aim at the target, you won't hit it. It will just go astray. You're like a, a, a rifle that's not zeroed, you know. No matter how you aim, you can never hit the target. So what's the solution? Paul go, goes on to tell us the solution is Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he gave us the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ultimately, they know they, in the end, is going to have to go God's way. It's not by trying to sail to, to safety. They can't. In the end, they have to throw Jonah over. In the end, you had to go the way of the cross. In the end, we had to go God's way. We got to go the way of grace. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that no matter how much we try, you know, to get right with God, ultimately, it's the grace of God that sustains us. Ultimately, it is God's grace. Imagine, uh, if you can, uh, again, just a story, huh? Imagine Pastor Singyap died and go to heaven. Heaven forbid, you, you have a long, long life, okay? It's just a story. Anyway. Imagine Pastor Singyap died and then he went to heaven, right? And then he, he meets uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates. And then St. Peter says to Pastor Gap, he says, okay, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You know, it's just like immigration to Australia. So you tell me all the good things that you have done, Pastor Gap. I will give you the points for each item, depending on how good it is. When you reach 100 points, then you can get in. If not, too bad. So Pastor said, okay, I'm married to the same woman through fat and thin for 25 years. Never cheated on her. St. Peter said, fantastic. Three points. Okay. Huh? Only three points. Huh? And never mind. I'm the executive pastor of a very good church in Perth. Great. Two points. Then desperation, Singkat said, if Pastor Benny is my mentor, got any point? Minus three points. Okay, never mind. <laughs> then he, he said, never mind, I still got some more. I come up with a strategy, you know, to plant more campuses everywhere. That should be worth a lot of points, right? St. Peter said, definitely. One more point. <laughs> only one point. At this rate, uh, own, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God, man. And 100 points. You got it. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> get my point. Get my point. It's not the things we do. It's not our own effort. At the end of the day, it is only by the grace of God. We are 100% dependent on His grace. And this is the good news of the gospel. And at the end of the day, it's all about grace. It's God's way, not ours. See, in the end, it is all about Him, not about us. And that's what those sailors did. They then decided to go God's way. The guilt of Jonah waited too much on them. They had no choice but to offload him. So they finally prayed for themselves and then they threw Jonah over. And then the third miracle happened. The sea immediately became calm. And that is when the sailors came to their senses. 
and they realize that He is Lord, that He is God. And that's why verse 16 ends this way. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. They became absolutely convinced that God is true. Now, they get reformed and they make vows to Him. If we are willing to do what God wanted us to do, to go God's way instead of our own, we will also discover that our God is true. Amen. Our God is true. And we will also realize that our God, He is Lord and He is God. And once Jonah goes over, the sea becomes calm, the next thing comes. And we'll talk about that next week. But let me end with this. Jonah was a reluctant prophet sent to a wicked people called the Ninevites and he ran away. But in total contrast, Jesus was a willing son sent to a wicked and rebellious mankind but he obeyed. And here's the thing I want to share with you, my friends. If God can save the Ninevites through a disobedient Jonah, how much more will He save us because of the obedience of His Son, Jesus Christ? And that should encourage us. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 39 to 41, Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. See, He referred back to this story. See, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. If we are willing to come to Jesus this morning, we are going to find true peace. And for some of us, we are like Jonah. God would have placed something in our hearts that we need to do. God has called us to some things and we have been disobedient. Maybe we are running away from the will of God in our life. But this morning, God has made it possible for us to turn disobedience to obedience. It's not by trying, it's by surrendering to the Son. And we will find the peace of God. And this morning, I pray that God will speak to all of us that we don't run away, but run towards God. You know, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to stir up and to awaken us because winter is over. Spring is here. And for those of us who do not know Jesus as a Lord and Savior, I want you to know this, that we don't get right with God by trying harder and trying to do what, trying to do right and be good and be able to make it to heaven. We can never make it. But all we need to do is just turn to Jesus and say, God, I cannot, but you can. The law is good, but I am not good. So forgive me, change me, and let God receive you into His kingdom. Amen.